Hey, welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more info, you can check us out on Facebook at Life Church of Columbia. I love y'all so much. I am, I am honored. <laughs> Quicker than I thought. No, I'm honored to be surrounded with gray hair, white hair. It really is. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I understand the scriptures when it says it's a wise scribe who pulls from the old and the new. And, uh, and to understand that. And I, I pray that in this season that I am, God really establishes and restores that honor, that thing within me that understands. I'm not here if you're not there. Uh, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. We got to hear from our apostle this morning. We got to hear from the prophet this morning. You got to be under the influence of praise and worship. I'm telling you, it's a full meal deal around here. I love it. Uh, I want to update y'all really quick. If y'all can put my picture up, please. This is from Mexico. If you don't know, our outreach pastors, mission workers, Colby and Taylor, they are in Mexico right now doing some amazing... We've got to talk to them a couple of times. Uh, I just grabbed this one shot. They got to go and hand out tons of Christmas boxes and gifts, uh, food. It was incredible. They sent us little videos of dancing with the kids. It has been phenomenal. So not only do you get to be here and be involved in all the incredible stuff that happened this morning, while this is happening, we, our body, our family is also having an impact and an influence in Mexico uh, sometimes it's in Kenya, sometimes it's in Uganda. It's just incredible to be a part of a body that's doing and working and moving, and you guys have been incredible. Dad said we've been separated since March. It's just been weird. I don't know how else. To, somebody said, how would you describe this? I said, it's the strangest season. Like, you don't know what's going where or how to respond. And, but through it, you guys have been amazing because we've thrown all kinds of stuff at you. We've thrown outside church, online, Zoom, Facebook Live, just whatever we throw out. Y'all just shift and move and do. You've been giving. Uh, it's just inc- you guys are awesome. It's, it's awesome to be a part of what y'all are, have created here, what we get to be a part of. So I'm honored, and I'm so thankful for them, too, that are willing to go over there and do what they're doing today. So, are we ready for a word? I told you you heard from several members of the leadership here, and now my prayer is that you would sit under the influence and the spirit of a teacher. Uh, I'm going to try to get my stuff set up real quick. If you want to, you can actually turn to Matthew chapter 21. I'm actually going to jump back in the Old Testament and pull something out first. Uh... I'm fixing to get my phone to where it won't lock on me. Today I want to deal with this concept, a functional kingdom. If you know anything and study the Bible very much at all, you know that it was constantly about the kingdom. And in the Old Testament, we see this in the natural, and we see kingdom after kingdom established, torn down and rebuilt, and all these things are happening, and it was, but it was always, the Old Testament was always pointing towards a kingdom that was going to be established. And every Old Testament picture we get gives us a really good idea of this kingdom, but because it was pre-Jesus Christ, it couldn't give us the perfect example of this kingdom. You had to take natural 
things and natural ideas and concepts. And you had to be able to see them in a spiritual way. And you had to be able to look past man. (laughs) I don't know how else to give you that. Because, for instance, today we're going to deal with David who established the greatest natural kingdom ever to be set on the planet. It was the most successful, and and it was just this incredible kingdom that was established to give us an idea of what this kingdom that would be established would look like. The only problem with this kingdom was David. I don't know if you've read much about him, but he would have been a pastor's worst nightmare. It would have been constantly, David, could I meet you in my office? We need to discuss you can't sleep with people's wives and kill their husband. Can we just lay that one out? Real, that's, that one's that's frowned upon around here. I don't know how they do it where you're from. But, uh, and so you begin to look at this, but it's, it's incredible because within the stories of these kingdoms is woven the beautiful journey of these people. And I believe God shared every detail of their journey because all of it is to teach us and grow us and direct us. And, and so God, if you remember... When we began 2020, I know it feels like it was 10 years ago, but that was just a year ago. When we began, God actually sent us into the story of Joshua. Right at the transition from Moses to Joshua and everything that was taking place. And remember, we spent the first probably two months of the year or so just digging into the story and it became a direction. And I remembered a prophetic word. It was actually me and dad, the elders. We were in the sound room uh, just meeting that morning. And it turned into an incredible prayer meeting. And I remember laying underneath the, the thing that has the soundboard and all on it. I remember laying underneath it and God just began to speak. And he spoke from this story of Joshua and said, follow the ark because you've never been this way before. Looking back at 2020 now, <laughs> I'm thinking, wow, I should have followed a little closer. You see what I'm saying? He began to prepare us and show us, you're about to go through a strange land, a strange season, a strange time. So I need you to stay real focused and real close because you've never really walked this way before. And the problem is when I'm not focused and really close and I end up in a place that I've never been before, my goal, usually usually I become polarizing with my opinions. Instead of remaining in a place where I'm focused on, I've never been this way before. So I can't really give you my opinion because I've never been before. So if I've never been here before, then my opinion is pointless because I've never been here before. And the problem is we're following a lot of opinions through places that they've never been before. Can I help you out? Your governors never served when it was like this. So the grace you're giving you, you better give him. I know it ain't going to be popular because y'all don't like him, but I'm just going to tell the Bible. Your brother that didn't handle it like you thought it should be handled, they ain't never been here either. So before you step back and say, well, I can't believe you're wearing that, and I can't believe you're doing that, and I can't believe you're setting out like that, they ain't never been here before, and you haven't either. And when we understand that we're all walking through a place we've never been before, maybe we should quit looking at them and start looking at the ark and saying, God, I'm tired of polarizing my opinion. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Thank you. Man, y'all a little rowdy this morning. 
feels kind of crazy in here. Did I tell you, Matthew? If you're in the book of Matthew, say amen. amen. That was my preacher voice. I'm going to read in Amos. I don't know why y'all are over there. <laughs> That's why everybody uses their phones now. You should be like, Amos, it takes you right to it. Listen to this. And this is so crazy, too, because if you... Man, there's just so much going to come out today. Y'all ready? I can feel like this is fixing to be new for me, just like it is for you. I've never been here either, so y'all give me some grace, okay? If you remember last year when God started giving us all the direction, if you stop and think about it, we shouldn't have been nearly caught off guard as we were because we had so much foresight. <laughs> and in it, God began to give us the numbers 9-11. Y'all remember that? 9-11 became huge. If you were in our Bible studies, if you were in our prayer meetings, you heard 9-11. We taught on it. We prayed through it. We worked through it. God actually gave my wife a dream, right? That's where it started? Yes. Don't leave me hanging. You started with her in a dream in 9-11. And then here I am starting out this brand new year. And I'm going to read you Amos chapter 9, verse 11. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will repair its damages, and I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Now, most of you know the idea or the concept of him rebuilding the tabernacle of David, but you probably know it from Acts chapter 15. Because in Acts chapter 15, all the elders get into a meeting because the Gentiles are getting saved and revival's breaking out. And they're like, are we even allowed to do this? <laughs> are we allowed to have the Gentiles do everything that they're doing? And they're going back and forth. And, they, and I, believe it's, I believe it's Papa James, is it James, right, who stands up and quotes Amos 9-11. And he quotes Amos 9-11 and says, God is going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. And goes on to say that in it, the Gentiles are going to be pulled in, drawn, and he gives this whole thing. So you've probably heard the term, but you've heard it out of the New Testament. So I wanted to start in the Old. Let's establish it in the Old Testament. Now we're going to jump into the New Testament, and we're going to look at this kingdom. When it says the tabernacle of David, I want you to think government, governmental. I want you to think the kingdom of David, because the success of the kingdom of David is actually found in his tabernacle. So today I want to talk to you about this functional kingdom or rebuilding the tabernacle of David. And I want to read you this. This is a prophetic word-ish. <laughs> I don't know what you would call it really. But it's like that from, from a pastor that I trust. It says, We affirm that Holy Spirit is orchestrating a global worship and prayer movement that will operate in great authority. And it lists multiple scriptures. This prayer movement will operate in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. Explanation. In the days of King David, he established a tabernacle that had singers and musicians who ministered to the Lord night and day. Today, the prayer movement is in the spirit of David's tabernacle. This means that the prayer movement will have some components of the tabernacle of David specifically pertaining to singers and musicians. The promise of the restoration of the tabernacle of David refers to governmental restoration of David's international rule as part of the restoration of the, national, the nation Israel in the millennial kingdom. Just stay with me, all right? The context of Amos 
and this governmental rule of Jesus over Jeru- from Jerusalem over all the nations. James refers to 9-11, declaring that the Gentiles should be accepted into a predominantly Jewish body of Christ without needing to convert to Judaism. The apostles understood that in the end times, God would reestablish this kingdom over all nations. God had just visited the Gentiles with salvation at Cornelius' house and was in agreement with the Old Testament prophecy. So James quoted this prophecy. Through... Though Amos 9-11 is not prophesying primarily about 24-7 intercessory worship, this kind of worship-based prayer will be the foundational reality in the release of Jesus' worldwide rule over the nations. The prophetic word given in May was that God would release a -a 24-hour-a-day prayer in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. In other words, it would involve prophetic singers and musicians And the practice of worship and intercession is not in itself the actual restoration of Tabernacle of David. Why am I telling you this? I want you to understand that a year ago God gave us the word. Then he gave us the numbers. Then he brought us into this year the kingdom of David. And early on began to draw us into David bringing the glory back. I need you to see all these pieces start coming together. Why is this important? We just spent two weeks operating under the same governmental style that David established. He established a kingdom to where seven days a week there was prayer and worship and there was music, there was prophetic words, there was all of these things happening. And now here we are following a prophetic word of the Numbers 9-11, moving into Amos 9-11, which is the restoration of the tabernacle of David, which we have just spent two weeks preparing ourselves for to come in on a Sunday morning and see what happened today. What happened today? We moved into a level and a place of intercessory prayer-driven worship that released the prophetic word. He's establishing the tabernacle of David. What was incredible about the tabernacle of David is it was the most dominant force on the planet. But it stemmed from the style of his tabernacle. They would come in. They would worship like you just can't imagine. They did so much. And then they went out and conquered. And they took land. I was telling somebody the other day, just staying in the, in the, in the life of David, there's just a little short. It doesn't give you a lot. But David comes up to the city of Zion, I believe it's called. And this city is supposed to be unconquerable. Like you just, no one can touch this city. And it says David comes up and takes the city. That's it. It's just like, that's just what he does. He takes things that you normally couldn't conquer, and he conquers them. And he takes them and turns it into his city. Why is this important? Because the church has not been that kingdom. We haven't. We've been hiding under our steeples. We've been doing good to give out some food here and there so that the religious side of us feels better about helping less fortunate people. And that has become the pinnacle of what the church has been. And she lost her dominating factor. Why? She comes into a place where it becomes all about uh, concepts. It becomes all about your ideology. It becomes all about your systems and your rules. And it was the weakest, most pathetic system on the planet. It was so weak and it was so manipulated that it was actually ran by the government of the Romans. 
They just let them have their position. So what's happened today is we found ourselves in a very similar place where this church has become so weak. And if I may brutally be honest, so pathetic that we've been allowed to keep our positions as long as we do it underneath a Roman government. It's, we're right back. We're right back. It was 400 years of silence. Do you know why I believe God was silent for 400 years? Because he didn't have nobody to talk to. You know why God gets silent in your life? Because he don't have somebody to talk to. And, and, and we find ourselves in this really dark, dark place. When Jesus shows up on the scene, it's dark. The church is just a puppet. Actually, it's not the church. The religious institution of its time is just a puppet. They're just doing what they can to keep their positions and make their money. And we find ourselves in this place where this wild, unorthodox, outside-of-the-box, spirit-filled man just busts on the scene. And this guy comes, can I say that? That sounded wrong. And he comes to fulfill Amos 9 and 11. He comes saying, what you've read about, it's me. So many times throughout Jesus' life, he lets them know, all that you were reading, all that you were studying, that's me. I'm that. I'm here. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he has anointed me to preach good news and to set free the captives and bring. And he, start, he starts realizing. So we need to look at when Jesus showed up and started establishing his kingdom, we know it was him establishing the actual functional kingdom that David was giving us a preview of. So today I want you to keep those in your mind and we're going to move into Matthew chapter 21. That me and dad have been back and forth in this chapter. I believe in Matthew chapter 21 is where Jesus establishes his kingdom. First, I want to give you a definition. Functional. He established a functional kingdom. Functional means designed to be practical and useful rather than attractive. I read a story. I love to study older people in revival. I don't know how to say that right. Fathers of our faith. And I don't mean all the way back. To, I mean like a Smith Wigglesworth and a, uh, just these guys that were incredible. And I was reading one of them, and I, I can't remember exactly which one it was. One of the guys from England. and He was standing in a, uh, a Catholic synagogue. Is that what they call theirs? Church, building, whatever they have. He was standing in one just massive. Have you ever seen these things? They're just beautiful. They're a work of art. And he was standing in it. It was completely empty. There's no one there. And I, if I remember the story right, he was talking to a, a Catholic priest or, or however it was, and they were talking about it. And he began to describe how beautiful and how elegant and how amazing the building was. And, and at the end of the story, he turned and asked, but what's it doing for your city? 
And it was this shocking reality that at some point we begin to trade function for form, for look, for attractiveness, for whatever it may be. And if it's more attractive, then possibly I can get you to come instead of the, what was it? The practical and useful function of the body of Christ. And me and dad were actually, he just called me this morning preaching a whole message right before I have to get up here and preach. So now all that's running around. But we were talking about this concept of the kingdom. And did you know that right now there are seven church growth models in America that will, are guaranteed to grow your church? It will make it explode. All seven of them are based on business principles and have no scriptural backing. But they're growing churches like crazy. So what are we doing? We're creating a form that is attractive without a function of the body of Christ. So today I want to get into this and I want to show you some of the comparisons to David and his kingdom and the way he approached things and then Jesus and how he did as well. I believe Jesus and David shared an interest in functionality. They were both more impressed with the function of a thing than the form or the look or the concept or even your ideology. They were moved by function. They both seemed to be less impressed with concepts and relics and more involved with the simplicity of function and intention. In other words, they were driven more by the impact and the intentions, or can I say the motives, behind the thing that had the impact. In other words, they didn't need it to look the best. And We see it in David early on. He didn't need to look like the best soldier. He just needed to wield what he was, knew was functional. He needed to operate with something that he knew would get the job done. I know it don't look the way you want it to look and it don't feel the way you, but I'm just here to make sure that it's functional and that the intention of it is correct and therefore it has the intended impact that it's considered to have. We see this in David. Uh, he moved in this in a lot of areas. We see it where David comes into the temple and he eats the showbread. Right? The showbread was for show. <laughs> I don't want to say anything disrespectful in this section I'm about to tell you. So don't say what I'm not saying. Okay? I understand the tabernacle that was built. I understand the three realms. I can show you all that and walk you all through all that. All right? So I am in no intentions taking shots or being disrespectful. But it was bread <laughs> that was baked that you could not eat. It was to be put on a table and looked at and honored and revered. Re revered. I like it. You see what I'm saying? In David's mind, bread is to give me sustenance, not to be looked at. You get what I'm saying? Like, I'm advancing the kingdom and I'm getting stuff done. Feed me. I don't want to just look at it. Oh, if you can't understand the connection. Like, I didn't just come to church because I want to look at y'all. I came because I came to get fed. 
So if you're just here to show really cool stuff, I'm going to find somewhere where they're actually cutting the bread and they're actually handing it out. Not just saying, look at my bread. It looks better than their bread. We do bread better than they do. Our oven is newer than their oven, and it does more things. I don't care what your oven does. I just want to eat. I'm just hungry. So David shows up in the temple and says, hey, you know that bread that y'all don't eat? I'm hungry. We about to eat. We about to eat. So they had taken something, turned it into a relic that you just look at. You know what else is compared to the bread? Most of you are probably holding one right now, and it's turned to Matthew chapter 21. Which has become something you sit on your shelf at home, and you admire it, and you, 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 it's rev, you say? revered in your home, and don't treat that Bible bad, and this is the Holy Bible of God, and it's the New King James Version, brother, so I tell you what. But have you ate it? Have you sat down and took it in, and it became something that sustained you when you weren't going to make it? Something that sustained you when you were in the fight of your life? Because if you don't know it, and it's not in you, then it's just showing bread and it just sits on your shelf to scratch your religious itch. David said, I ain't here for a religious tradition. I'm here because I'm hungry. And when I'm working, I get hungry. Right, Dylan? When I'm working, I get hungry. So if I show up on Sunday morning and y'all are just all amazed at how pretty your bread looks, I'll find somewhere I can eat it. I remember one time my nanny love makes a peanut butter cake. Oh my God. <laughs> if you know me, I don't really eat cake. Mostly because people put this, the worst thing in the world on it. It's called icing. When my wife makes cakes, I just eat all the stuff she cuts off of it right real quick before she puts anything on it. But my nanny love makes a peanut butter cake. And it's it's like baby angels make it. I don't know how else to tell you. And it's the seven layers. My God. I'm calling her right now. Well, now she lives way too far away. But then I found out someone else could make it. And Sister Renee learned how to make it. From Nanny Love's recipe. And it's ballin'. <laughs> telling you but she made one and it wasn't as pretty as she wanted it to be did you throw that one away or did we get to it first she was gonna throw it away but before she could throw it away we let her know real quick I'm not worried about how attractive it is <laughs> I just want to eat it I don't care if it looks like I wanted it to look I know how it's going to taste, and I know what it's, I hope y'all are preaching with me on peanut butter cake. You see what I'm saying? But what happened is the church became so driven by, I need it to look right and sound right, and you better get the temperature right, and you better take care of my kids right, you better have the best nursery, your oven better be just right. Instead of showing up and saying, I'm hungry, and you may take it and put it on a shelf, but when I'm working in the kingdom, I need some sustenance. I need something I can eat. So David comes in and says, I get your little form and your religious relic, and I understand it, and I, I get it. I'm not against it, but I need to eat. I need to eat. Verse 
Jesus shows up on the Sabbath in the temple and heals a man. Jesus said, I'm, <laughs> I appreciate the form and I appreciate your concepts and your ideology, but this man needs an encounter. And your concept is not giving it to him. You're, and I think the bigger problem wasn't that they just wouldn't heal him on that day. The problem was, you ain't healed him on the other six days either. <laughs> but Jesus didn't heal him on Friday or Thursday. Jesus knew what he was doing. He was here to reveal their obsession with their concept. And that they had taken their concept and their ideology and placed it above helping someone. Remember because he says, well, I mean, if, you're, if your cart gets stuck, you're just going to leave it stuck? Or are you going to pull it out? Are y'all with me? Have y'all read it? Y'all know the story? So Jesus is revealing to them, I came to establish a kingdom that is functional. It actually helps you. It doesn't give you concepts and ideas and a list of rules to follow. But it comes and establishes something that says this is functional. This can actually help you. This can actually feed you, heal you, deliver you, set you free. It can do all. That's the kingdom. The kingdom is not this. The kingdom is not our order of service. The kingdom is not the way we've decided we want to do it. The kingdom is a functional kingdom. It feeds you when you're hungry, heals you when you're broken, restores you when you're jacked up. You see, because Jesus and David, they both began separated, right? You see, David is in the field with the sheep. Jesus is in the wilderness well, with no one, with an enemy. They both began separated and hidden. But both of them, while separated and hidden, found the heart of the Father. Neither of them fell into, oh, I'm separated. Oh, I'm not where they're at. I'm not in what they're at. But they both used their opportunities of being separated and being hidden to connect with the heart of the Father. David was in the pasture. Jesus was in the wilderness. Next, we see both of them came and created a communal, all-inclusive family. We see David in a cave hiding, and all the rejects come to David. All the ones that no one else wanted find their way to David. Why? Because David was the one no one else wanted. David begins to build a family, not a kingdom. The problem is we want the kingdom before the family. Oh, come on. But David knew he wasn't going to be in the kingdom until first he established a family, so he started a brotherhood. And he starts to build relational capital with the men that are around him. He starts to build a family. That family becomes the, is it 33 mighty men? <laughs> Somebody knows. David begins to build the baddest men on the planet. Starts with just this small group. It seems like I remember somebody in the New Testament who also just started with a small group and built the baddest men on the planet. You see what I'm you see the connections David was giving us a he was giving us a glimpse. There's a kingdom coming. There's a kingdom coming in and in this new kingdom you don't have to draw a sword. 
As a matter of fact, in this new kingdom, one of the men is going to get rebuked because he does draw a sword. David's giving us glimpses. He's showing us this kingdom that's about to be established. So I believe in Matthew chapter 21, we see Jesus begin to rebuild the tabernacle of David by establishing his kingdom. So let's look at Matthew 21. Matthew 21 verse 1 says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem, they came to a place at the Mount Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, and a fo- the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set them on him. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who were before those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. David. Why? Why all of a sudden now? We're calling him the son of David. The spirit is quickening the people to reveal to us it's being reestablished. Amos 9 and 11 is about to start happening. And the people, by the way, I believe, by the unction of the Holy Spirit, begin to establish this by crying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet prophet Nazareth of Galilee. Next is what's very important. Jesus comes in. It's, It's prophetically declared that now he is the son of David. And the son of a king comes in and establishes his father's throne. So we see him reestablishing this kingdom of David, this this tabernacle of David from Amos 9-11. And Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables and the money changers of the seat and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. I want to show you that in John chapter 2 really quick. He gives a really good uh, account of this happening. I should have marked that. John chapter 2 and verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers, the poured out of the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then the disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. When he decides to establish, reestablish the kingdom of David, he starts by going in and cleansing the temple. He starts by going in and, and Uh, maybe making us realize that this kingdom that was so dominant had to begin in the cleansing of a temple. It had to start 
with him removing some things. What was going on? Why were they selling doves and oxen and all these things? Because it was easier to just buy it when you got there than to raise it and commit to it yourself and bring it. Every year they had to come, and based on your income, you brought an animal to sacrifice. Well, what would be easier for me to keep that animal perfect for a whole year or to not even worry about it, and when I got to the church on Sunday, I just get it from you? What's easier, me to press in and sacrifice and pray all week, or when I get here Sunday, I'll just borrow some of his? So Jesus shows up and says, I'm changing something because David changed it when he, was, when he t- built the t- tabernacle and they reverted back to an old way. What did David change? They all came in and they all worshipped and they all went before God themselves. All of a sudden we find ourselves all these years later and it's back to, I don't go in and I don't worship and I don't sacrifice. You do it and then I just borrow from you. And Jesus shows up and says, no, 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 you missed it. See, what I'm here to establish is that you don't need a priest to go in for you. You go in yourself. So Jesus is doing so much in this moment. He's coming in and saying, instead of you relying on a middleman to figure out what I want and what I love and what I need and what I expect, He said, I'm establishing this new kingdom where you don't have to come buy what you need from this man. You put in the work yourself. You put in the sacrifice and the time yourself. And then you get to come into this kingdom. Now, here's something else that's very important, and I'm going to try to just go through these somewhat quickly. And he said to them, it is written, I'm back in Matthew 21, 13. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. So I think if we could just be as simple and basic as we could possibly be with this. I think the idea here would be the fact that Jesus was turning it back to talking to the Father. Not just showing up to make transactions. Like this is the place to where I should get to communicate with him. I should get to be in this with him. 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Isn't it crazy that as soon as he cleansed the temple, the temple started cleansing people? Man. As soon as the temple was cleansed, those in the community came to be cleansed. Before Jesus straightened it out, can I tell you that the blind and the lame wouldn't even get close to a temple? It was illegal because somebody thought, I'm going to make a new law, and if you're not perfect, you can't come in here. And Jesus showed up saying, no, you missed it. I'm here for them. I'm here for this. I'm all all here for this. And so Jesus cleanses the temple, and he doesn't cleanse the temple and then start a... uh, (laughs) I'm trying to be super nice. He doesn't cleanse the temple... And then take out an ad in the paper and start a revival. No, when he cleansed the temple, they found their way to it. I need you to hear something. When the temple was right, those that needed the temple knew right where it was. They knew exactly how to get there. Why? Because they were drawn into something that was going to be functional enough to deal with their dysfunction. Instead of just pointing out, you're dysfunctional and you're dysfunctional and you're dysfunctional and you're dysfunctional. We know that. 
We're well aware of how dysfunctional we are. I'm very well of how dysfunctional some of y'all are. I love you. So the church at this moment was good at reminding you of your dysfunction. They just didn't have enough function to deal with your dysfunction. So Jesus shows up and says, watch this new kingdom. It cleanses the temple, and then it deals with your dysfunction. And it, oh my gosh. The blind and the lame came into the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests, when the religious spirit saw these wonderful things and heard the children of the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Why? Because they weren't necessary in David's temple. <laughs> There's so much more there that I just can't, I can't hang out. They were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these kids are saying? And Jesus said, Jesus said, Yeah, I heard them. You ain't read your Bible? This is literally what Jesus says. Yeah, I hear them. You never read your Bible? Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise? You didn't, you didn't read your Bible? You did, oh, you're the teacher, but you didn't read your Bible? Then he left them and went out of the city. Next, next, very important. If you read your Bible, especially in the Gospels, and you don't pay attention to every place Jesus is at, what he says, what he does, and, and how he does it, then you're missing everything that he's doing. Every miracle was more than just a physical healing. Every word was more than just putting somebody on blast. You've got to pay attention. As soon as this happens... The son of David has been cried out twice by the prophetic spirit of both adults and children now. And something is being established that is switching the house from what it has been turned into back into a place of prayer. Where instead of making transactions with men, we make transactions with heaven. And he starts turning some things. And then he starts to return into the city and thinks, man, I'm hungry. So he turns and notices a fig tree. Got leaves all over it. When he gets to the fig tree, it looks good, but it's not actually functional. Tony, he's doing so much in this one chapter. And he said, What happened was I showed up to a temple that looked good, but it had no function, it had no fruit. The people could not eat of it and live. Instead, they could only be reminded that they're hungry. And he shows up to this fig tree that has, no le has leaves but has no fruit and declares that you'll never have fruit again because you pretended to be something that you're not. Because you put out a form without function, you will never bear fruit again. Then the tree dies. The end. Nursery rhyme. He's establishing some things about the kingdom. And he's coming and saying, I'm establishing a kingdom that is so functional. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go as far into this conversation as I really have been this week. But I just want us to begin to connect some things. Next, he throws out this parable. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you know the story right in here, if you don't, go read it. 
but he goes into some parables, and you have to be very, you have to pay very close attention to the parables that Jesus is telling them in this moment, because he's still in the process of establishing his kingdom, and he's showing you the details, the blueprints of what this kingdom looks like. And he goes into a parable and says, well, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first son and said, go work in the vineyard. And his son said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it, and he went. Then he came to the second son and said to the, likewise, and he answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. And he asked, so which one of them did the will of the Father? The one that said the right thing and did nothing, or the one that said the wrong thing and did something? You've got to catch what's happening here. He's painting a picture of what's going on. They're, they're saying things that makes it look like I'm all about doing the will of the Father, and that's all I want to do, when in reality they have no intentions of actually doing the functional, practical things of the kingdom that impacts the city. But then you have another group over here who is actually being totally honest and saying, you know what, God, I'm not feeling it. I guess all y'all, you're just so holy, you just jump and go every single time. I'm not that way. I'll be in Brookshire's or at the gas station and God say, why don't you talk to this person? I'm like, God, I'm not feeling it. That's not me, dog. That's, that's not my thing. I don't talk to people. Then I buy 14 things in the gas station and waste all my money because I'm trying to wait on that person to leave before I leave. And I done bought everything and my wife's texting me, like, why are you spending so much money at the gas station? Because I'm trying not to do what God told me to do. And it's costing me a lot of money. That'll preach, Jonah. It's costing me a lot. And then later, I'm like, okay, fine. I'm doing it. And then you go over and you talk to them, and they have an encounter with God, and they get saved. The problem is you leave beating yourself up, and Jesus is commending you because you did the will of the Father. It's better than leaving here saying, I'm going to go reach the nations. I'm going to preach to everybody. I'm going to stand and declare at the gas station when you know you ain't going to do nothing. Jesus said, that ain't the kingdom I'm building. I'm going to build a kingdom out of all you dysfunctional people that start off like, I don't know, God, you should get pastor to do that because I'm not able. I can't, I can't talk good, and I'm, 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 like, I'm like Moses, and I don't, I don't, I don't, talk, I don't talk good, and, and you better call somebody else until finally later on you're just so under conviction. Then you kick into Jeremiah, and you say, oh, now it's like fire shut up in my bones, and I don't want to say it, but now I'm going to say it, and then when you say it, you've just manifested the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom. It's functional. I didn't say it was perfect. I just said it was functional. Because Jesus took 12 men who were far from perfect. So far from perfect. But he made them functional. And they turned into the men who established his kingdom on this planet. And we live our lives based on the words that they wrote us by 12 men who went and did some of the most amazing things in the world only to come right back to Jesus and argue over who's the best. And then they wanted to turn around and call fire down and wipe out an entire city. I'm like, Jesus, pick better people. But it's because he was creating this new kingdom that's functional. It's so functional. The problem with things that are really functional is they usually don't look as good as we want them to. And it's usually messy. It's usually messy if you start actually functioning as the kingdom and you actually get in the community and you actually start bussing in 100 plus kids on Wednesday nights and you actually start doing things. like It, it gets messy. But there's a scripture that I've been moved by forever since I heard dad get slapped with it. I don't know how else to put that. But things get messy when you have lots of kids around. 
Any of you that have kids, can I get an amen? amen? So one day, Dad was walking through the church. This was at the other church, right? Just aggravated. I don't know how else to put that. <laughs> aggravated because things were broken. Things were messed up. Stuff was rolling. I mean, it was just, and he was aggravated, just mad. I don't know if he was venting to God about it or if God just stepped in and said, chill out, bro. He stepped in and said, well, I could send them somewhere else. And it reminded him of the scripture that says, where there are no oxen in the stall, there's no mess. But where there's no oxen, there's no work either. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Jesus came and established a functional kingdom. And this functional kingdom was the reestablishing of David's tabernacle. What was David's tabernacle? It was a place of praise and worship, prophetic declarations, establishing them and setting them up and preparing them to be the most dominant force on the planet. He took everything. If he wanted it, he took it. He raised up men around him that were so bad. One of my favorite stories in the whole Bible David's sitting somewhere, chilling out between battles and says, man, I'm thirsty. If I just had a drink of water from that well, well, that wasn't just any well. That was a well right in the middle of the enemy's camp with all their guys around this well. So David's mighty man said, oh, you want to drink from that well? Watch this. And they fight their way all the way to the well, taking out everything in their way. Get a cup of water and fight all the way back out. Take it to David, and he pours it out. I would have punched him around his mouth. Like, bro, you know what we went through to get that water? I don't know why I shared that story. I just love it. God's establishing a functional kingdom this year. We went through a lot last year, and it was crazy, and, and maybe that was us like David and his mighty men that found themselves in a cave and found themselves under attack and found themselves under pressure. And maybe that was all the things we've been going through. But I am hopeful and believing that God is starting to reestablish and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which is the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which is a functional kingdom. I'm not going to go into the next one. If you go read the rest of the chapter, he continues to, re to establish things, to give blueprint, give identity. I don't want to go there today. I don't want to draw this out any longer. But I just want you to leave today hopeful. I want you to understand that in the midst of everything, I'm so thankful we got the prophetic word this morning. Because it's very easy to get caught up in what's happening in the moment, the darkness that's taking place. I shared with the team last night and I shared in the prayer meeting last night. In Genesis 1 and 1, there was darkness, it was chaos, it was void. That became the backdrop for light that fixed everything. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that was made was by Him, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Him was light, that light was the life of men, that light shone in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. When Jesus came on the scene, it was dark, dark, dark. But it was the backdrop that brought an incomprehensible light. You have to understand where you're at in this moment. Do you believe that we're just at the end of everything and it's got to get just so bad until Jesus snatches us out of here? Or do you believe it's getting dark because he's about to raise up sons and daughters that become the incomprehensible light of God who change things, who direct things? 
We have to live in this hope. We have to live believing God is working things out for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That's what his kingdom does. That's what it's functional. And this year I am excited to be a part of a functional kingdom that I believe is going to start turning our community back into an Eden. Back into a place that is impacted by God. I want to pray with you all before we wrap up this morning. It's, it's been such a crazy season. And I, I feel like as far as what people are going through and having to learn and deal with, no one was exempt this year. You know, most of the time it's, well, this one had it and this one didn't and this was that. I feel like nobody got exempt this go-round. Like it was just, everybody's been impacted in some way, somehow. And in doing so, I'm just, I've been having to go through so much, even myself personally, and uh, just, just being honest with y'all, just having to be spoken into and encouraged, directed, uh, have to have my pastor sit down and just be brutally honest and just all those kinds of things to, to put us in position. And now I believe God is positioning us to start operating in his kingdom, operating like his children. So this year, you have to start shifting your mindset now to start believing and being hopeful when you hear prophetic words like we heard today. Because it's going to be very tempting to go back to, but what about? Every time we use the phrase, but what about? We are actually declaring that we're not fully bought into Romans 8.28. Romans 8, 28 says he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to him. And when we say, but what about? You're saying, I don't know if he's working this thing. I mean, I see how he could use this, but I don't know how he could use this. But it it teaches us he's the master weaver. And he weaves it into something that becomes the good. It becomes the good. And it's the goodness of God that draws men unto salvation. So I believe we're in that place. So this morning, as he begins to play, I just want to pray with you, and I'm going to ask you to just pray that we as the church be the beacon of hope to a world who has lost hope. It's been too much. 2020 was too much. It was too many different things, and it was from too too many different angles. It was too much. And when it's too much, we begin to lose hope. We have to be the hope. We have to be the voice of reason. We have to be the voice of hope. We have to be the voice that goes beyond our understanding and declares the goodness of God, that he's working it together. I shared a quote this week that faith is not believing God will do what I want. Faith is believing God will do what is good, what is right, what he wants. So this morning, Father, This morning we're asking, first of all, forgive us for falling into the temptation of being attractive and having the form and having the ideas and having the concepts without actually operating in the function of the kingdom, without being practical and useful to your kingdom, to a community, to a city, to our families. Forgive us that we've fallen into the trap. We've fallen into the trap of form without function and power. 
And in doing so, God, as we become so convicted that we haven't been the agents of change that you have called us to be, begin to raise us up as sons and daughters of Jesus, that that we be formed into the image of Christ Jesus, and we become the bearers of light who shine into our community, who shine through darkness, that we begin to declare, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you've encountered me, you've encountered Jesus Christ, let us never put our ideas and our concepts and our, 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 our relics above people, above a functional kingdom that heals, delivers, sets free, brings righteousness, peace, and joy. That is your kingdom. The kingdom is this. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. So, Father, I thank you this morning that you're always such a good father to stop us redirect us, point us in the right way. And we believe that today is that day of us refocusing, shifting back to your kingdom, to the tabernacle of David. In this place, we'll be filled with worship and praise and prophetic declarations that empower and encourage people to go out and take the land. We thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' name, the family said... Amen. While he's in that spirit of prayer, just stay right where you are for a minute. Because when he started praying, I just felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said that there's some people in this building today that was just introduced to a kingdom they could relate to. A kingdom that opened up its arms to dysfunctional people. It was presented to us in a way today to where it's not something they're separate from me and I'm other than because I'm not what they are. It was presented to you in a way today that, oh, my God, I can fit in to this kingdom. As broken as I am, I'm accepted into this kingdom. So right now, we're just going to pray again, and I'm not even going to ask you to come up. You don't even have to, but you can if you will. But I just want the body of Christ to stay in the spirit of prayer. You're out there. I know you're there, and God has spoken to your spirit today. And if it's sitting right where you are right now, I want you to just, I want to open the door for you to open up your heart and say, I want to be a part of this kingdom. Not life, church. That's not what I'm talking about, a part of this kingdom. Right now, church, if you'll just, you'll just be in a spirit of prayer and they won't be worried about you looking at them or whatever, if you want to rise out of your seat and come kneel in these old-fashioned altars we built, just raw, ugly wood, you can. But I'm telling you, Jesus ain't limited to that. Right where you're sitting, you're beating yourself up, and Jesus is accepting you into the kingdom. Right now, I'm going to pray over you and with you. Right there, just right where you are, under your breath, God's going to hear that prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over individuals today that have been attracted attracted to a kingdom that is practical and useful. Right now, God, someone is being attracted to you, oh, Father God, because of the word that was spoken out of this pulpit today. And I pray you give them the strength and the courage right now to take that step. Come on, man, take that step. Come on, sis, take that step right now, right where you are, that I commit. Lord, I'm in. This is the kingdom I can be a part of. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. I believe you've done that. Let's give the Lord a hand praise. I believe you've done that. Wow. Thank you for listening to this Life Church podcast. 